a few seconds away from switching to the redundant sense sequencer. T-minus 27 seconds. We have gone for redundant set sequencer start. T-minus 20 seconds and counting. T-minus 15, 14, 13. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, We've gone for main engine start. We have main engine start. Ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. I'm J.J. Jackson, and I'll be sitting in with the latest video music performances the way they were meant to be. Hi, I'm Nina Blackwood. I'm Mark Goodman, and I'll be here this time every weeknight with the latest concert information and music news. Now, starting right now, you'll never look at music the same way again. Live from Members Only Studios, welcome to Living in the 80s, the podcast where we talk about anything and everything having to do with the 1980s, the best that we remember. This week, we're going to be talking about what is certainly a mile marker event during the 1980s, especially if you were a teenager. I'm talking about August 1st, 1981, the launching of MTV Music Television. I would like to start off with a clip of some of the original VJs talking about what it was like when MTV launched. So the night of the big launch, we were going to have a big party out in Jersey. We had to get on a bus and go to Jersey. T-minus 20 seconds and counting. And we're downstairs in this basement. It was, it was perfect for MTV because we, we wanted to be like that sort of rebel group and we were man they stuck us down in the basement there's a million people and some you know cheesy hors d'oeuvres we were the five of us certainly were just incredibly excited we were just nervous five four we've gone for main engine start at 12 o'clock all of a sudden the rocket blasts off and i swear everybody was just like we have main engine start Ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. I remember how I felt, I mean, when I actually sort of teared up when the, when the rocket took off. Everybody was just holding each other and, and crying and just, here it was, because so many people had worked for so long for this unknown thing. It was finally, this baby was being born. I heard you on the wireless back in 52. Video killed the radio star. The first part of the song still gives me tingles. You know, it just drives me crazy. A couple years ago, Art Hughes and I did a podcast talking about when MTV launched, what led up to it. And we did a very extensive job of talking about the history of MTV. You can still find that in one of our archived podcasts. 
Today I've gathered several people together and we are going to talk about some of our personal memories of MTV, some of the artists we were exposed to, some of the videos that we liked, and some other assorted memories along the way. So hopefully you enjoy this podcast. We're going to take a brief time out and then you'll get to meet the panel. But first, one person that we were not able to get with us when we recorded was Debbie, who you've heard on here several times and is a great addition to our team. So here are some memories from Debbie and we'll be right back. MTV came to Wichita, Kansas fairly early in the 1980s. Much to my dismay, my family did not have cable, so I spent countless hours in the basement of my friend Becca's house, waiting for our favorite videos to air. I loved being able to see my favorite artists perform their songs and loved the alternative non-Top 40 music I was being introduced to. Some of the earliest videos I recall were the Buggles video Killed the Radio Star and In Excess's The One Thing. I still remember Becca turning to me and saying, I hate you too, when one of you two's earliest videos aired. I looked at her and thought, what did I do? At the time, I had never heard of you two, but was quickly introduced to them through MTV and liked their music. Duran Duran, Howard Jones, and Rick Springfield videos were on my must-watch list. I'm still trying to figure out the meaning of the Union of the Snake video. I was always amazed at how long we had to wait for our favorites to come on. Then there were the videos we hated. One in particular was Dire Straits' Money for Nothing. In my opinion, the only good part of that song is Sting. The videos we disliked were our bathroom break videos. Anything by Judas Priest was at the top of that list. During those songs, we would take off running across the basement, up the stairs, and down the hall to use the restroom and make it back down before a good video started. Heaven forbid we miss one that we had been waiting hours to see. I know that my parents thought we spent far too much time watching MTV. They wanted to stay outside on summer evenings, but we often snuck into Becca's basement to see what gems were playing on MTV. MTV shaped my music landscape and showed me that there was a large world of music outside of the top 40. It was a launching spot for so many artists that were unknown to me, and for that, I am eternally grateful. Thank you for listening to Living in the 80s. We want to take this opportunity to thank all of those that helped make this possible. First and foremost, we want to thank Spotify for Podcasters for providing this platform, as well as Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, and about a dozen others. We also want to give a special thank you to Star1079.com and Roundtown Radio, where you can hear this podcast weekly. Also, be sure to check us out in our Facebook page, Living in the 80s. Most of all, we want to thank you for listening. Turn it on. Leave it on. I want my MTV. Right. All right. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. See new video music you can't see anywhere else. New interviews, new concerts, new guests. DJ. New specials. There's always something new on MTV, 24 hours a day on cable TV. Too much, Ed. Too much. Never. Never. It's never enough. Welcome back to Living in the 80s. As promised, I have got my rogues gallery of 
80s aficionados here. It is going to be a lot of fun talking about the history of MTV. And one of the things that we learned along the way, our podcast says it itself, the best that we remember it. So there's no better way to talk about something like this than to get multiple perspectives on what is going on and what happened back then. But first, I want to allow my uh, guests to introduce themselves. And FYI, here in Ohio, where I'm at, a little storm action going on. Sean, you look like you were a little scared just then. So introduce yourself and tell us why you're so scared right now. <laughs> my name's Sean. I'm a big uh, 80s guy. Uh, music's usually my biggest focus, but trivia and sports and everything else 80s is my focus. I graduated from Groveport High School in 1986, so I'm that target demographic uh, for all the things we're going to talk about today. Uh, my name's Sean as well. I'm in Worthington, Ohio. I'm kind of an 80s connoisseur, if you will, specific when it comes to music. My wheelhouse is 82 to about 88, 89. Hey, my name's Art from Columbus, Ohio. Currently live in Asheville. I grew up in the 80s. I know a lot about 80s music. I don't say a whole lot, but I, and music in general. Big comic book fan covering anything from the 50s all the way up to current comic books, but uh, that's me. Hi, this is Kevin Ackley from Worthington, Ohio. And last but not least, we got a new kid on the block here, Lynn. My name is Lynn Erickson. I live in Lincoln, Nebraska, and uh, went to Lincoln Christian High School, graduated in 85. And yeah, very passionate about the decade, especially the music and then secondarily the films. And I've been, I guess you could say a longtime listener if um, three or four months counts, maybe 20 to 25 episodes deep into it. And it's fun to be part of the peanut gallery for the first time. All right. So we are going to go around the circle here. And I've got a series of questions I posed to all these guys. And we're going to just go one at a time, get your responses, everybody's responses going to be different even though i suspect some of them are going to be very similar so uh let's start off with kevin so kevin your first exposure to mtv and what were your initial thoughts and who was your favorite vj before it came on I, it was really hyped i kept hearing about mtv i didn't really quite know what it meant but i know everybody was excited about it like especially the people i went to church with you rob uh art and david were talking a lot about it um i would i think we had a TV at the church that had cables, so I could kind of see some of the advertisements for it. So it was pretty exciting. But then, of course, I lived in the country and I didn't have MTV. So it came out and everybody was talking about it, but I would only get to see glimpses of it every once in a while. So I remember anytime I went to your house, Art's house, David's house, the TV was always on and it was always on MTV. Even if we weren't in the room, it was on MTV. It seemed like it never got turned off. Um, and so, you know, anytime I would get a chance to watch, I, I wanted to, that was like the thing to do. My favorite VJ, probably Martha Quinn. Um, she kind of had the girl next door qualities. Um, she looked like she was about our age. She looked really young for her age. So, um, I think she was my favorite. MTV was kind of big when I was in junior high, which is certainly the most impressionable age. And, um, I also was in the country, so we didn't get it. Funny thing is, so I grew up in Port Clinton, but Milan, Ohio, population 14, uh, had MTV. And uh, I remember staying the night at Cousin's Place, and we had the upstairs, and they turned on MTV, and it was like, first watching MTV, I thought I was suddenly hit to something that everyone else was talking about. And uh, I felt instantaneously cool. 
well, just for a minute or two. And uh, my favorite VJ play was Alan Hunter. He seemed like he was hip, but also knowledgeable. Um, and then Nina Blackwood was up there as well. She she seems like she wasn't hired specifically for her looks. She she knew her stuff. Back at that time, we didn't have cable at our house uh, when MTV first started up. So a lot of my exposure to MTV was over at Dave's house. So uh, it, it was kind of hit or miss. Uh, a lot, we spent a lot of time outside. I, was, I think I was 16 at the time. But as far as DJs, I mean, I, I remember Martha Quinn. Uh, she's probably my favorite, along with maybe Mark Goodman. I just know whenever she was on, you, had, you know, Dave had a big crush on Martha Quinn. I oh, probably still does. He still does, but, you know. But, um, yeah, the first year of MTV, like I said, we didn't have cable. We, most of my exposure was through Dave's house. Yeah, uh, my, first, uh, my first thought with MTV was that I absolutely loved it. I, it was the first chance to see a lot of bands. It really brought them to life. I really like that a lot of the initial videos told stories that weren't necessarily related to the songs. They made up uh, kind of a secondary story uh, for the song, and they would have a, a video that would portray a message that a lot of times didn't relate to the lyrics. I thought that was pretty neat. My favorite VJ was Alan Hunter. He was the one that I thought the music that I really started to like in those early days were, was the kind of the, what we called new wave at the time, later alternative. And he was the closest to that for me. And so he became my favorite uh, VJ. For sure. My first exposure to MTV would have been probably within the first year that it had been um, started being broadcast. I had a friend, Michael Penn, <clears throat> who had me over one time and I'm pretty sure it was a slumber party. He's like, Hey, you gotta check this out. And uh, they had the Cox cable box on top there. You could, you know, push those buttons in and, you know, it's hard to explain to a younger generation what that was like, because up to that point, you know, there was radio and then there was the record store and you could go find that stuff. And I was already kind of gravitating towards left of the dial bands and so forth, trying to dig those out. And then all of a sudden, boom, you can watch your music and see these bands. And it was like all over the U.S. at one time. It was like having a, you know, a national nationwide station. And I just I fell in love with it. It was great. It was a great chance to dig out new stuff. I always love finding new bands and new stuff. And uh I was hooked, you know, I, I, if I wanted to watch though, I had to go to his place because we didn't have anything more than basic cable where I live. So it was the good reason to go over and visit my friend. And uh, I'd say my favorite VJ was probably, I liked the voice of Mark Goodman. He always seemed to have a really great delivery. Alan Hunter had some great interviews and then Martha Quinn, just for the sure joy factor. She was really loved what she did. So I got three. Uh, for me, my first exposure was day one when MTV was launched. Uh, it had a very limited amount of cable systems when it first launched. And I was fortunate enough that having Time Warner Cable, or Cube back then, uh, we were able to watch it. Now, I got in, I started late. I was probably out with Art and Dave. <laughs> I got home after midnight. But uh, I got to see video number two, which was You Better Run by Pat Benatar. So that, to me, that was amazing. I was probably up and probably till five or six in the morning, just watching one video after the other, after the other, and just being amazed. And I liked what you said earlier, Lynn. Uh, it, it felt like this was like a national radio station. So it's kind of like when our parents maybe first discovered rock and roll, when like radio was new, the music was new, and we kind of for the first time got to have something that was you know kind of uniquely ours, us 80s kids. Mm -hmm. So it was really, to me, was just awesome. And this was my outlet to find new music. And you can listen to the radio um, 
top 40 or rock and roll radio and you can get a lot of artists and stuff but some of the alternative artists and some of that kind of stuff you couldn't get anywhere else at that time we didn't have the internet we couldn't just you know get on apple music and just search you know Susie and the banshees and find something um this was this was our thing uh my first my favorite bj even though i liked all of them they all kind of i i like and you can read up on this if you want to how they hired each one of the bjs so i like the way that they just kind of found people that seemed really personable people you'd want to hang out with so they all kind of seem like friends to me uh Dave did have the biggest crush on Martha Quinn. I think he tried to get Pam to cut her hair like that for a long time and she would, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> she was definitely my favorite to look at. Uh, Nina Blackwood seemed very unattainable to me. Um, I liked Alan Hunter and JJ Jackson, but Marth, Mark Goodman was probably and remains today kind of to be my favorite. He seems he, he, well, him and JJ both come from a, a, like a classic rock type radio station background. So hearing them sort of talk about artists kind of seemed to lend a little more insight, which is what I was most interested in at that time. So to me, Mark Goodman was probably my guy. And that was uh question two. First video you remember actually seeing when you were watching MTV. We'll start with you, Lynn. It's, <clears throat> I have to dust off my memory for this one, Rob, a little bit. But if I was honest with myself, I think probably the first one I remember seeing on there was I ran from a flock of seagulls. The lead singer had been, I think, a hairdresser before he was in a band and stuff. And so he had that great do. <laughs> and then it was, you know, a pretty low budget thing. Just, you know, a camera going around a room with the reflective stuff in the background. But the sound was so good. You know, this is like, wow, this is something like I, I either had heard them on the radio, maybe. But it was like, OK, this makes it real. Like this is this is a whole new thing. This is not the Rolling Stones anymore. We're talking this. is These are our bands. And so that's probably the first one I remember seeing. Yeah. Like, what is this futuristic noise coming out of my speakers? Exactly. Yeah, it's really hard to compare this. I'm just trying to think, like, what would you tell my daughter who's 19 about what this is like? And it'd be like, you know, finding some sort of super cool app on your phone, right? Or if you're waiting in line for the first new generation of iPhone or something like that, something that's really kind of this great gadget to give you access to a world. And uh, I was just like, I was just, you know, it was, I, you couldn't pull me away from it. If I was at my friend's house, we were down there in front of it for sure. What about you, Art? Before we start with Art, me and Art watched a lot of MTV together, <laughs> whether at my house or Dave's house or whatever. Like we watched a lot of videos together. So I'll preface that with that. Yeah, I don't remember the first video. Um, it was probably Pat Benatar, but I, I do one remember one that haunted me quite a bit. And there, every time I was around MTV, it was always uh, video was always on. It was the uh, what was that the Incredible World of Arthur Brown? Or was that the name of it? Fire. Fire. Oh yeah, yeah. I am the god of hell. It seemed like every time I was around MTV, that song was on. I could understand why they played it so much. A lot of different music I recall, but as far as the first one, I don't know. I mean, it, I'd say I, I recall seeing Pat Benatar quite a bit. Like you said, we spent a lot of time watching MTV. Sean Gill. I was at uh, 
a cousin's house and uh, we were all upstairs in like a, a Cape Cod. It was one big bedroom and we're all lying on the bed. And um, I remember distinctly the video was, is there something I should know by Duran Duran? Please, please tell me. I remember vividly. I remember the the red ball bouncing across the bottom of the screen, and uh, Duran Duran was pretty pretty big at the time. Um, they were uh, a boy band, as far as I knew back then, because all all the chicks loved Duran Duran. Um, but uh, it took a while to to appreciate them. Let's put it that way. Anyway, um, I I instantly thought that I was part of something something cool just by watching it. And then uh, thinking a little bit more, um, it actually starts to blur together because uh, of uh, Night Tracks and Night Flight and HBO's video jukebox. I, I can't remember um, many more videos that I saw on MTV other than that Duran Duran. Um, I think uh, Talk To You Later, was, is that by uh, the tube, Tommy Tubes? The Tubes. The Tubes. The tubes. Yeah, I remember. Um, I remember that for some reason. I don't know if that came out at the same time or not, but um, I, I remember that first video though distinctly. Kevin, I think the first video I remember is uh, "Once in a Lifetime" by Talking Heads. You may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful. And I remember at the time, I thought, wow, this is really cutting edge. Like, how is he going around on a circle like that? And I watched it today and I'm like, mm, we could do this on our iPhone, you know? I mean, it's like, it's looks so low budget now, but at the time I was like, wow, this is really amazing. And uh, that's kind of like he was superimposed behind himself dancing. I thought that was really cool. So Art, I have a question for you. When did you get MTV? Because I remember being over at your house watching it a lot. When I was 16, I know we didn't have it then. So you wouldn't have been over at that time. I'd say probably between 17 and 18. Okay. At the time you would have been coming over. Yeah, because, you know, I was dating your sister and she wasn't really allowed to go out on dates until the following year. So you wouldn't have been around come over you know yeah that's that's true that. That. so I, probably, it. I just couldn't remember if it was from the beginning or if it was you know a couple years into it it was probably 83 84 okay sean layer we had uh cable in 81 but we didn't get mtv until 82 so i had to go back to some of the music from that time and i was looking at uh some of the ones that i remember from the beginning it probably would have been uh maybe billy jean uh, mm -hmm. by michael jackson or rock the casbah by the clash but the one i'm going to go with is a Standard Fall, which is a song by The Fix. And in that, the video, the singer Cy Kernan is walking down the beach with this white horse. And there's this battle going on. These guys are like running down the beach. And I think that one made the, the biggest impression on me. I mentioned earlier, I kind of jumped the gun a bit. I blamed Sean for it early. I did the exact same thing. <laughs> um, mine was You Better Run by Pat Benatar. It was video number two on day one of MTV. What you trying to do to my soul? Well, everything I had is 
like I said, I stayed up all night watching and it seemed like I was watching very regularly after that. And there's lots and lots of videos that I remember from early on. We'll talk about some of them later. But uh, yeah, that, that's the one that, that I can definitely remember. Okay, shifting gears a bit here. We're watching MTV. We are absorbing these videos. We're getting to know the VJs. It definitely affected the record buying in the youth of America. We're getting probably most of our intake from the radio, but a lot of it we're discovering artists strictly from MTV. So I want to start with Sean Laird this time. Is there any music that you heard on MTV and went out and bought the album because you heard it on MTV? Sure. I, I remember a video with them, four guys out in the winter in these big winter coats and this uh, horses and this snare drum. And uh, it was a sound I'd never heard before. It was U2. And the song was New Year's Day. Soon after that, I went up to Record and Tape Outlet on Hamilton Road and got a, a cassette of that album, War, uh, specifically because of that video. That night, we walked around East Mall with that. I had that cassette in my pocket the whole time. I could not wait to get home that night and crack it open and play it. So that was that was definitely my first purchase based on MTV. Oh, that that I, that is a great story. Just you telling you telling that story, and I know with. Art and Dave, we went went to there and bought a lot of records. So it's uh, you say that in Eastland Mall, like that kind of job. I feel like I'm walking along the side <laughs> of there. So. I, I hope I'm not using too many local Columbus references, but I think I remember at the time, I think cassettes and albums were $5.99 plus tax, of course. Yeah, six dollars and thirty-two cents. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, if if anybody's listening to this podcast at all, we are we unashamedly Pimp out Cardo's Pizza, Zantigo, uh, a Buzzard's Nest all the time. So if anybody listens to our podcast at any point, they know we're from Columbus. <laughs> Good job. Kevin, what about you? For me, I think the first one that I bought, which actually was one of the first cassettes I ever bought, uh, was ZZ Top Illuminator. They had four videos, Give Me All Your Lovin', Sharp Dressed Man, Legs, and TV Dinners. I know I knew of the band. I'd heard songs of theirs from the 70s, but it seemed like they got introduced to a whole new market when they started doing these videos. And they were kind of on the older side for doing videos, you know, compared to other people that are on MTV. But their videos were cool. The car was cool. They had women in the videos. So, so that was it for me. It's easy top eliminator. Sean Gill. So it's kind of tough thinking about which... Um, album I bought because of MTV because Huey Lewis and the New Sports and um, Eliminator they were also on the radio a lot so I can't remember if I bought it because I saw the video or just because they were top forty they were on the radio often but I do remember two bands that weren't on the radio that I got into and I subsequently bought their albums one was Oingo Boingo. Something I started in my sleep. It's a dead man's 
Saturday night on MTV, they used to do live at the Ritz and mm-hmm. they would show a concert. And I remember Oingo Boingo's concert was, was incredible. So I bought their stuff and that probably was 85, 86 dead man's party that that era and the other one was arts of art of noise close to the edit wouldn't hear that on the radio but it had a very memorable video I bought both uh, Dead Man's Party and uh, Who's Afraid of the Art of Noise at, since we're plugging for local um, uh, music shops, I, I bought them both on campus visiting uh, when I was uh, a junior in high school, visiting Ohio State. I bought both at Magnolia Thunder Pussy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Still there today. Yeah. Yep. And uh, bought the Oingo Boingo poster as well. <laughs> wow. That's so cool. Art. Well, again, uh, Going back to record tape outlet, which was in walking distance, if you remember, over off Allen Creek, Freebus yep. Allen Creek, before they moved further north, uh, that little warehouse over there. We, we used to walk over there all the time. As far as an album that was influenced by MTV, I, I don't know. I know I bought Crimes of Passion. And I probably wouldn't have bought that without seeing it on MTV, seeing the video. But I'd have to say that that'd probably be out of all of them. I also bought a lot of singles. I know that were influenced by MTV. So what about you, Lynn? Yeah, I had to dig deep on this one, Rob. I was thinking really hard about, um, you know, which came first, the exposure on MTV and then the album or whatever. And I just kind of remember it all being together. I, I'm pretty sure I heard whip it from devo on the radio shortly followed by the video on mtv and then i was buying freedom of choice within that month i think it's kind of how the order went Once I saw that video, I was like, wow, these guys are doing something brand new. And that album was solid from beginning to end. And, you know, there's some albums that you you hear the single and then the rest of it sometimes as a disappointment. That album was really well done. They were hitting the, really hitting their game. And then from that, I discovered, oh, they've been around for a while. And they actually went back into the catalog and then got the new stuff as it came out, too. So I'd say Diva Freedom of Choice is my first album I got based upon MTV Exposure. For me, I couldn't even give an honest answer to this one because there was so much that I remember purchasing because of that. The first album I bought because of MTV was was one or the other. It was either Business as Usual by Minute Work. but I want to think that I bought Prince Charming by Adam and the Ants first. 
I remember buying the cassette for business as usual because I now had a car. I think I'm going to go with Prince Charming as my first. I'd heard of Adam and the Ants and didn't really know much about them. Finally saw them for the first time and heard them for the first time on MTV and thought, here's a whole completely new sound. Fast forward to today, I listen to an Adam and the Ants record. I'm kind of ambivalent towards it. It's like it's aged as well as some of the other stuff. But back then, Young Rob was like, yeah, that, that band's going to do something. So there we go. Mm. Yeah. I remember about that time. I, I was big into the same thing and had all the cassettes. Mm-hmm. And they were all stolen. They were all stolen from a truck <laughs> back, back when it was popular. So. Yeah, I remember when they did break into your truck because you were like in mourning for a very long time about that. I think he still is. Yeah, that was one. That's when my stereo uh, vector research stereo was stolen. Yes, that, that killed me. Oh, yeah, I was I was still making payments on that radio. <laughs> oh man, here's another one. As we talked about, we're discovering new songs and new artists along the way. When you think of early MTV, which artist? immediately comes to mind during those early days. We'll start with Sean Laird. The artist that comes to mind for me is Yes. And the video was Owner of a Lonely Heart. They took this song that the video has nothing to do with the song. It's this uh, almost like this James Bond, like a film where this guy's walking in this crowded downtown. He gets abducted at one point. He's getting beat up. And then he gets to the roof of the building. At one point, the band members from Yes are there. They're turning into animals he turns into a bird after he jumps off so it was by really although yes had been around for a long time I, I had not been exposed to them and so when I think of like something that really takes me back to that time that's the video that I always uh that's the video that I always think of in the band that I think of and I always think of that part at the end where he's walking down the street it's like a replay of what started earlier in the in the video and then he stops and he turns around and goes the other way. And I know it's a metaphor for other parts of life, but I'm assuming. But uh, that that's the artist. And I think that was my first big exposure to them was through that video. Kevin. For me, it would probably have to be Duran Duran. They seem to be the group that captured the idea the best of MTV and, and capitalized on it. Very stylistic. We didn't see a lot of people, you know, guys wearing makeup, but we saw it with Duran Duran. All their videos kind of told a story, like hungry, like the wolf. Um, wolf. <laughs> I wasn't going to correct you, but there you all go. right, Mister Bedantic. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like the first one to me that seemed like they really captured it, and that's that's kind of who I think of when I when I think of of, of MTV. Sean Gill. Well, Kevin just stole my thunder. I would say Duran Duran as well. I mean, they realized when uh, they were going to nightclubs before MTV that uh, a lot of the nightclubs were playing stuff on screens as people were dancing. So they kind of embraced the music video before music videos were officially a thing. So they had kind of a jumpstart compared to everybody else. But uh, since he took Duran Duran, the, the other one I would go with would be the Arrhythmics. Sweet Dreams with the, the red, red hair and the leather glove and the cows in the background. And here comes the rain again. I remember those videos uh, being kind of haunting. Who's that girl? All the songs off that big album were pretty impressionable. So since he took Duran Duran, I'm going with the Eurythmics. It's funny that you say the Eurythmics because I'm thinking about these bands. I remember the first time I saw the Eurythmics, I thought, these guys are a flash in the pan. I thought, well, the girl's voice sounds okay, but I don't think they'll last. 
was I ever wrong? And they're they're mm-hmm. one of the bands I still they'll come on today and I still listen to them and enjoy them. So I th- I think they overcame what seemed like uh, a gimmick and just really became well maybe they always were a great band but I think the gimmicky beginnings to them are kind of what made me just kind of thumb my nose up at them. But art, I'd have to say the flock of seagulls. Um, I think if you you get the generation now, if they were to mock an '80s band or even create a band of their own, it would have they'd probably mold it after a flock of seagulls. Uh, the hair, the clothing, the one-piece suits. Uh, and I think it's cheesy, but I think it'd be the flock of seagulls. Lynn. If I had to go with the trifecta on this one, I couldn't choose. I chose them for different reasons. I would agree with the Duran Duran thing. They were definitely the, uh, they say, faces made for MTV suits, you know, $1,000 suits. Girls wanted to be around them. Guys wanted to be them. And they had those, you know, stories. I'm not sure always what the stories told. But uh, they were just in exotic locations, and they weren't just simply cheap things done in the studio. That was great. Michael Jackson, I'd have to say, with that thriller when that out that when that video was going to be released, everybody knew where they had to be at a certain time because that was going to be the event, eighteen minute video, whatever it was, like a mini movie. I think at that point MTV was in a lot more households, and they realized the power of marketing mm-hmm. through that. So that was it was going to be like an event, like everybody knew they were going to be at home at this time to catch it, and they would. I think they replayed it numerous times in a row. And then my outlier is because I'm not sure this band would enjoy the success they do today without it is aha. That mm-hmm. take on me video to me was just cutting edge, like the ability to warp, you know, in respect live action film, whatever with animation so seamlessly. I don't know how many hours were spent doing that and how much ended up on the cutting room floor, but that was brilliant. Like it was one of the things you just kind of scratch your head and say, how'd they do that? Right. And you'd catch it again and just marvel at it. So that to me, it was a big one. Uh, I'm going to have to allow Sean for his minute or two here. He is probably the single biggest AHA fan that I know. And we go back and forth and I jab him a little bit and he strikes back. AHA, very talented band. I was never really into him. Sean, tell us about AHA. (laughs) Well, first of all, these guys were not, they weren't happy with being um, a pretty boy band. They wanted to be taken seriously. In fact, uh, a lot of folks don't realize this. They kind of worshipped the Doors. And their lead singer tried to sound like Jim Morrison. They were in a Doors tribute band in London before they went back to Scandinavia. The Take On Me was actually the third time it was released, third or fourth time. And each time it it kind of stalled. And to me, ironically, I don't think that's their best song. I would say The Sun Always Shines on TV is a much better song off that album. And then there are... Were subsequent albums they had songs that were better than take on me as well i'm just near listen to all of these stories here here you guys talk and i have to agree with every single one of them flock of seagulls art like you said they i remember singing wedding singer when robbie's going to go buy the ticket and the guy at the ticket booth has got the the beak haircut there hey do you like flock of seagulls i can see you do that was good there's no denying that Duran Duran owes their entire career to MTV. Well, they're American a success anyway. I believe that they lured people in with their style. And then once you start listening to them, you understand what a great band they were. I mean, yes, they had the exotic locations and it kind of felt like they spent more money on their videos, on the production and the scenery and the locations than anybody else. I think they did. I agree. They did get it a lot earlier than just about anybody else did. Another band I didn't hear mentioned 
that we talked about a little bit earlier, U2 is one band I think of when I think of MTV. I would not have heard U2 back then had it not been for MTV. And I think Gloria is the first video I seen of theirs and thought it's a pretty cool band. And the more I heard, the more I liked and they became my favorite band of the eighties and uh, just seeing them live and everything, just none of that would have happened for me had it not been for MTV. So definitely kudos to them. We're going to take a brief break here and we're going to be right back and we're going to have our last questions and we'll be done. So hang tight. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. Call your cable company and say, I want my MTV. Shall we play a game? Hi, I'm Joel McLaughlin, the most excellent host of Living in the Retro Arcade. If you're into video games from the 70s through current day, this is the show for you. We'll talk about technical aspects of the games as well as memories, the best that we can remember them. That's Living in the Retro Arcade, available on all popular podcast platforms. Welcome back to Living in the 80s. Uh, We are in the home stretch. Last couple questions here. And we're going to start with Lynn. When you think of MPV, what song would you say is your song video is your favorite? If you could pick one, this is my video. What would that be? Can I ask for two, Rob? Uh, Yeah, go (laughs) right ahead, sir. Uh, It it kind of for me like the first half and second half of the 80s, I was thinking about it. I forget who mentioned Once in a Lifetime from uh, Talking Heads. Might have been Kevin, I think. That was one of the first ones I saw in my friend's basement over there. And I just thought, this is so stream of consciousness. It is so funny. The song is really funny in a way. It's actually pretty serious when you dig into it. And then David Byrne just, you know, neurotic, sweating, mimicking the different motions the tribes people were doing. So it's just like, what is this about? And it was like, okay, so this is kind of fun. This is the idea to either confuse or confront or whatever it is. It was just a great video. And then one that I would also put in the same category as AHA as far as just the visual nature of like, this is definitely outside the box. Nobody's ever done this before this way. Um, it'd be very late 80s. So at this point, I'm already in undergrad, moving towards my professional education. I'm pretty busy, but somehow I found myself with a little bit of time for MTV. And I remember seeing or the video for Shadrack from the BC Boys, which was done in an interesting style where they shot live footage of them doing that song in a club and then had Leroy Neiman actually do paintings of different, you know, maybe fast forward like three to five seconds per thing and paint that scene and then paint the next one. So literally he's doing a he's doing an entire oil or watercolor canvas and having it go through like a very choppy animation kind of thing. And it was just like, wow, this is so abstract. It's just amazing. So that one always struck me because again, the time involved and just, it was so different than having a band in front of a camera and just playing all their parts kind of thing. It was just, I thought it could really visual, visual feast for sure. Art. I don't know if it's early. I'd say maybe mid eighties. What, eight now? Yeah, probably 86, 87. I'd be uh, just a gigolo. Dave Lee Roth. Just 
it's great. I mean, you got uh, he's mocking Boy George, Cindy Lauper, Billy Idol, David Lee Ross, always been a favorite leading man for Van Halen. But yeah, I'd, I'd have to go with that one. That or uh, California Girls. We get to see a lot more of Dave's sense of humor, I think, when he did his solo stuff. So I <laughs> look back at I I looked at that stuff, and I look back at Pretty Woman. I'm thinking. How much did Dave influence that? Because <laughs> it kind of seems like that same kind of sense of humor. Well, he uh, doesn't seem to take himself seriously. Obviously, in the video, he doesn't. No, Sean Gill. Uh, it that's a tough call. The the one that we've kind of done an injustice to by not mentioning it um, would be Dire Straits' "Money for Nothing." Because of the the computer animation, I will always associate that with MTV. Obviously, with the the hook, the beginning um, stings. I want my MTV from. Um, I believe that that was from uh, "Don't Stand So Close to Me." It was kind of paralleling uh, an earlier song, but the the video that I remember being obsessed with, and I can't remember why. I remember getting in trouble because my mom told me to go to sleep, but I wasn't going to go to sleep until I saw. Run DMC and Aerosmith's uh, Walk This Way, uh, Come On Again. So I'm not sure why that was so compelling, but that was pretty darn cool. Very groundbreaking. Kevin. Uh, one of the early ones for me was uh, Brass and Pocket by The Pretenders. We got brass in pocket. We got battle. I am going to use it. Intention. Where she's the waitress in the in the restaurant looks like you know very London ish uh, city, and the guys come in and she's trying to get their attention, and then their girlfriends come in, they leave, and she's left there by herself. I just there's something about that video. I just well, I just in general, I just like you know Chrissy Hine, Akron girl. So I've always enjoyed that video, and that was one that I remember early on. Sean Laird. I'm gonna go with "Love My Way," a video by the Psychedelic Furs. was my favorite song at the time it turned me on to that band the video is shot in uh, it's a mo monochrome um a little bit purple at one point a little bit kind of uh silver tone and they're standing in this uh small amount of water in this studio with uh, painted clouds in the background uh i remember watching it thinking who who the heck are these guys and they ended up becoming one of my favorite bands uh, this would have been multiple years before their big hit with Pretty in Pink. Love that song. <laughs> I do too. It's very good. 
I've got hundreds of videos I could say here. If you ask me tomorrow, if you ask me 10 minutes from now, I'll probably give you a different one. I think the one that I got most excited about seeing, like I couldn't walk away from the TV when it came on, is probably the lowest budget video ever made. And like, I they must have spent 50 cents on this video but it's what I like about you by the romantics. It is literally the band standing there playing very high energy, something about the drummer singing. It just, when I think of early MTV and just songs that just grab me, because I had heard that song before then, and that song, that video, I mean, you got these multi-million dollar thriller videos being made, and then I go for the 50 cent video. <laughs> the, yeah, mm. that one. So. Well, I said I watched that video today. Well, did you really? You know, uh, I will jump in and say there was one video perhaps cheaper than that because at least uh, they they try to have a certain style and a certain look. But um, Rolling Stone, start me up. Probably if oh yeah, if what I like about you costs fifty cents, then it probably costs fifteen cents to do start me up. That's, doesn't it start <laughs> off with the tongue and it zooms out to like the band playing and just hamming it up for the camera? It was pretty horrible regardless. What what about uh, Waiting on a Friend, where they're just hanging out, they end up being at that bar, and then you can tell they're all smashed in the video. You know, <laughs> There's no other, there's nothing else to it. They just walk down to a bar and get drunk, so I thought that was pretty cool. I was reading in a book about the early days of MTV. I think it was called I Want My MTV, and they're talking about how some of these bands were very not super happy about having to do videos, and a lot of them were done pre-MTV, and you could, like, you can see some old journey videos where it's like them performing in a you know studio someplace and it's they basically would film them lip syncing four or five songs in a row and there they were but so many of them didn't like doing them i think the rolling stones were one of those early bands that just hated doing videos and you can just really tell like they're just cheesing it up they're trying to have fun getting hammered so that's good our last question we're going to talk about is, are there any obscure MTV videos that you saw back then? You're pretty sure most people don't remember. Maybe you're the only person that knows this song exists. Are there any songs like that for you guys? I'll start off with Lynn. I thought of a couple. One, back when MTV only had a certain number of videos to play, this actually was featured more often, and it was so strange because it just didn't fit any category or genre really, but do you guys remember the fish heads video from fish heads? Heads, fish, heads, roly poly fish, heads, fish, heads, fish, heads, eat them up, yum. Oh yeah. <laughs> fish heads, fish heads all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, we, that was when we were just in our, what is this about? Like, you know, it, it had its comedy relief, I guess, you know? And so um, as more videos came on, I think that one kind of got squeezed out of the rotation. Um, but it was certainly a novelty one. And then the one I thought about 
this one that a band I discovered later, I think it's because I never actually caught them on MTV. Um, I heard this song and I thought, great, why did I not hear about these guys when they released this? I went back and found the video later, but it was Lips Like Sugar from Echo and the Bunnymen. I mean, I remember hearing them thinking that this is really intelligent pop with a British flair to it. Why don't more people know this band and, and hear about them? And I just thought that, that, that's a song that it was an earworm for like days. Went back and found the video and I think, you know, it wasn't anything really great. It was done mostly in black and white, but it certainly introduced, I think, a, a great band to an American audience that uh, should have taken off more. If I can jump in there and, and sure. I know all of us are, are trivialists and we think of a million things. Uh, when someone mentions these videos, but there there are two like huge things about the Fishhead video, Barnes and Barnes, I believe, are the the group, right? First, uh, one of the guys is William Mummy, if I'm saying his name right, from yeah. Lost Space. Uh, oh yeah, Will Robinson. And then I did secondly, not realize that. <laughs> yeah, for for our panel here, who directed the Fishhead video? Anyone know? Bill Paxton. No really? kidding. Wow. He directed that. He's in the video as well. And I think he's like 17 or 18 years old when he did it. Wow. So, wow. I'm going to go watch it now. <laughs> That's a good trivia question right there. Yeah, absolutely. That's what yeah. I would have failed. <laughs> yeah, me too. What about you, Art? I would have to go with uh, Wall of Voodoo, Mexican radio. I understand just a little. No comprende. It's a anything by uh, Art of Noise. Of course, Wall of Voodoo has always been on my playlist, but I'm not sure how familiar everybody else is. What was the lead singer's name? Stan... Ridgeway. Ridgeway, yes. Stan, Stan Ridgeway. Yeah. When his face comes out of that pot of beans, that's hilarious. <laughs> I don't know. Young me, we just thought that was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. I love that video ever since the first time I've seen it. He did a, uh, he did a really interesting song with Stuart Copeland. Uh, it's called Don't Box Me In, and it's on the uh, soundtrack of the movie Rumblefish, which mm-hmm. is a Francis Ford Coppola gang movie. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's right before Outsiders. I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Yeah, it's filmed in uh, Tulsa. It's Matt Dillon. It's Diane Lane. It's a lot of the stuff you see in Outsiders, but uh, a lot of a lot of the uh, same director. And uh, it's it's really interesting film. It's much more artsy than uh, Outsiders and I think Outsiders is a stronger film, but I think you would like it. But yeah, Stan Ridgeway is uh, is on the title cut. It was actually a video on MTV for a while. Don't box me in. Check it out. I will. I will. I'm going to write it down. Um, Sean Gill. The video I'm thinking of, it's called uh, The Land of Hunger, and it uh, was a band called The Eurons. Like many things in the early 80s, it was a post-nuclear apocalypse kind of thing. Um, they also had a little bit of a Devo look to them because they're all wearing um, jumpsuits with white uh, motorcycle helmets and black 
uh, visors, so you couldn't distinguish which one was which, but they had name tags that said like 0. 0.015 or 0. 0.226, <laughs> and that was all to distinguish the different members of the band. So uh, members of the panel, I invite you to pull up that video, Land of Hunger by the Eurons. It's a good song and a, and a pretty good video as well. I've learned two new songs tonight. Thank you, guys. Kevin. First one I was going to go with, and which actually was kind of interesting, you just mentioned romantics a little bit ago, was One in a Million. Where uh, they're in the like the old fifties diner, but I do have a more obscure one that I do not remember from the eighties. But I was watching MTV Classic or VH1 Classic, whatever it's called, and I saw this video by a group called Modern Talking, called "You're My Heart, You're My Soul." You're my heart, you're my soul. I keep it shining everywhere I go. You're my heart, you're my soul. I'll be holding you forever. Stay with you together. And they have this definite 80s look. The one guy kind of has like a pink tux bow tie on or whatever. I don't know, something like something you'd wear to the prom. And I remember sending it to you, Rob, a couple years ago and said, Have you, do you remember this group? And what was funny was maybe a month after that, I was in Kroger, which is our grocery store here in, in Ohio. And they were playing it over the I'm like, you gotta be kidding. I don't remember ever hearing this song and her planet in Kroger. I'm like, that's pretty obscure. So modern talking. Sean Laird. Uh, the one I'm going to go with that um, is obscure today and has um, that I don't think many people would remember is the video for Harden My Heart by uh, Quarter Flash. Very interesting thing. Nothing to do with the song. Singers running down a hall, uh, some hallway. It's basically a cheaply constructed set out in like it looks like a quarry. A bunch of guys ride by on, on motorcycles and then a guy comes with a flamethrower and sets the thing on fire. I, I, you know, I, 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 I'm quite certain if you ask anyone, uh, most people today, if you say, remember that song, my quarter flies now, you remember the video, they probably won't remember. Uh, my runner up was going to be just for the frantic energy uh, is a town called Malice by the jam. which I think is a song mm. that a lot of people really didn't, uh, a band that a lot of people didn't discover and uh, just probably the best song of them. Essentially a performance video, but a great song from a great band. I do love Town Called Malice. Very good song. Very good. For me, I've got, I got several of them here just because I watch so much MTV. One funny video I used to watch on there was called I Want to Be a Lifeguard by Blotto. I want to be a lifeguard. Help, 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 help. I want to guard 
basically somebody was walking around with maybe a VHS camera on a beach filming the band lip syncing and they wanted to be a lifeguard and they're working in a shopping mall, but they wanted to be a lifeguard. So that's one. As far as good songs of those days, I think most people may not have heard, maybe in this audience, this little group they have, but I would say most people haven't heard Life's What You Make It by Talk Talk. which has got one of the coolest intros of all time. Love that song. That's a song that, and we've talked about this in the podcast and stuff before. These songs that got released back then, like how are these things not hits? And how was Jump For My Love by the Pointer Sisters a hit? There's all this other good music out here that kind of got ignored. (laughs) So mind-blowing. Kiss This Thing Goodbye by Delamitri is one I just had just rediscovered recently. Like, oh, man, I used to like this song. I forgot about it. There's numerous. It's just three of them off the top of my head. I'd like to throw one out there to see if anyone else remembers it. Um, Go right ahead. Wendy Williams and the Plasmatics, It's My Life. It's my life. Does anyone remember that? Yeah, uh, where she took the chainsaw to the bus. Yes. Uh, yeah, and her um, grabbing onto the helicopter ladder before the car goes over the cliff. And I mean, she did her, her own stunts. She was a wild one. But I, I remember watching that one on MTV. How about uh, Fred Schneider's um, There's a Monster in My Pants? He's from B-52s, right? Monster in My Pants. Don't remember that one. Yeah. How about uh, ABC's The Look of Love? Oh, it's yeah, that like was a good a, one. It's kind of has a Saturday in the park theme. They're dressed up as with like zoot suits, I think, and uh, and and canes. And these people are walking around this park. There's all these interesting characters. There's a ventriloquist. I don't know what it's supposed to be, but uh, <laughs> pretty interesting. How about A E I O U sometimes Y by Eben Ozen? Eben I was walking on Broadway, you know, and there's this incredible looking Swedish girl having a cappuccino across the street from Lincoln Center. I started talking to her, you know, and she said her name was Lola. Her English wasn't too good, you know, but we wound up spending about five hours together just hanging out, you know, so we go back to my place and get high and we get really into each other, man. I mean, it was love about to happen. I'm serious. And then all of a sudden she gets up and she says, she says, hey, I really got to leave. Yes. <laughs> Didn't we both buy that 12-inch single to, at the yeah. same time? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I also, uh, Tarzan Boy, I think I gave that to Kevin. There's a wrestler using that song now. They call him a, a Jungle Boy. 
And yes. uh, he's on AEW and he comes out to Tarzan Boy, but he just turned heel like last week. So he's a bad guy now. But prior, he was coming out to Jungle Boy and the crowd, you should see the crowd react to it. And now, of course, he's coming out. He's a bad guy. So he doesn't want his music played so, so they can all boo him. <laughs> but it's uh, pretty funny. Fun story. About a year ago, me and Kevin, Snowball, and Matt all went to AEW in Columbus. And Kevin is not even resembling a wrestling fan, but he came along because we all went. He just wanted to hang out and just soak it in. That song comes on, and we deemed it Kevin's favorite wrestler, and he agreed at that point. <laughs> I don't know how he's going to feel about now that he's a bad guy, but uh, yeah, that's a he's a Matthew he's Matthew Perry's son, actually. Is he really? Wow. Wow. That's so he went the wrestling route, I guess, instead of the acting route. He should come down to the friends theme. That would uh, be pretty appropriate. (laughs) There is no way to adequately cover everything that MTV was to us during the 1980s. Whether it was the videos, the music itself, fashion, just about everything we touched in the 1980s were influenced in some way by MTV and that cultural shift that happened once it got on the air and started getting momentum. One thing we didn't talk about during the podcast, I was going to ask the panel, was something that I have thought about over the last couple years. In my opinion, the original MTV VJs, J.J. Jackson, Nina Blackwood, Alan Hunter, Mark Goodman, and Martha Quinn should all be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That group was so influential and definitely, as I mentioned before, helped shape our culture, much like Alan Freed and Dick Clark and Don Cornelius before them. They were the next generation of TV personalities that introduced us to new music. I wanted to thank our panel for joining me here this week, as well as Debbie Connor, who couldn't make it. And I had to shout out to Tammy Dever as well, who really wanted to be part of the show, but she had so many commitments going on, she just couldn't make it. But thank you to everyone. It was a fun time, and we could talk endlessly on MTV and what it meant to us. We're going to close out now with an artist that got a career revitalization. Thank you in large part to the early days of MTV. We are going to close out with Fashion by David Bowie, which has one of the coolest intros ever. And next week we will be back talking all about the year 1984. Thank you. Take care. God bless. We'll see you next time. Too much is never enough.